Stand with me. What a privilege it is to be able to celebrate with all the angels in heaven as we worship the Lord here on earth. And he's present here with us. And we're grateful for that. In 2 Kings chapter 5, beginning in the first verse, we read, Now Naaman, commander of the army of the, of, of the king of Assyria, was a great an honorable man in the eyes of his master because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria he was also a mighty man of valor but a leper and the Syrians had gone out on a raid and they brought back captives they brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel she waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, if only my master was with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and he told his master saying, thus and thus saith the girl who is from the land of Israel. Then the king said, the king of Syria said, go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and he took with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and a change of clothing. Let us pray. Oh God, how excellent is your name. We're not even talking about creation. We're not talking about salvation. Just your name. If you never did a single thing, you would still be excellent. But because of what you have done, there is no superlative that adequately, even the word excellent and magnificent, none of them can capture the totality of the wonder that you are. And we just stand in amazement that you look down from heaven and you decided to create us so that we could have fellowship with you. And today, Lord, we have had that experience and it's our desire that we would come even closer well, we ask this in Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Today marks the beginning of a new series I'm calling Unqualified. Unqualified. Some of you may be aware that there's a mental health diagnosis called self-injury. There are other names that are associated with this condition, such as self-harm, self-mutilation, or cutting. Psychologists define this disorder as any intentional injury to one's own body. 
Usually self-injury leaves marks or causes ten, uh, tissue, tissue damage. Self-injury involves any of the following, cutting, burning, branding with hot objects like irons, cigarettes. It involves picking at skin or reopening wounds again and again. Hair pulling, head banging, hitting your head with a hammer or banging your head up against an object. Sometimes self-hurting or self-mutilation involves intentionally breaking a bone. Now, most people that engage in self-harm don't do it in a corporate or a group context. They do it individually. And they hide the bruises. They don't want to publicize the fact that they've harmed themselves. And when you discover that they do, it's often when they're not paying attention to concealing the fact that they have done something to injure themselves. Now, there are at least three reasons why somebody would involve themselves in self-mutilation, self-harm, self-hurt. And one of the reasons, one of the causes, is perfectionism. Uh, this person, he or she, feels like they have to be perfect in order to have value. They have to have perfect grades, perfect care, perfect attendance. Um, and sometimes for high achievers, uh, this type of uh, pressure, uh, this is not intended to commit suicide. The person's not going to take their life, but they are going to do something to injure themselves. And the injury itself distracts them from other pains that they've internalized, the fear of rejection. So perfectionism, somebody say perfectionism. A second cause is poor self-esteem which is a form of self-hatred. This person is convinced that the best that he or she could ever do is never good enough. They may have a PhD, a master's degree, they may, have, they may, may be a millionaire, but their lack of self-love makes them think there must be one more thing. And because they don't have that, whatever that one more thing is, they inflict self-harm. Here's the third reason, and that is pride. This person says by harming him or herself through body piercing, tattoos. Now, everybody gets a tattoo, doesn't have a mental illness. Amen. It wouldn't matter if I got one. You couldn't see it. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I don't like pain anyway. Sexual promiscuity. Sometimes people are involved in sexual activities, and it is very irresponsible, not that we're encouraging people to engage in premarital or extramarital uh, sex, but sometimes it's because people, in a sense, it's not about love, it's about self-harm. Remaining in an abusive relationship or engaging in substance abuse. The person is saying by those actions, I will be noticed, I will not be alone, even if it hurts me 
to stay. Self-mutilation, self-harm. Now, while the damage of self-mutilation is undeniable, somebody cuts themselves, burns themselves, or like I did as a child for whatever reason, I wasn't trying to harm myself, I was trying to prove that I was invincible, so I would hit my head against the wall. So that probably explains some of my, 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 my tendencies now, honey. Amen? Amen. There's something far more destructive when it comes to self-harm on the spiritual realm. You see, you can see the visible evidence of self-inflicted physical injury. But self-harm caused in the spiritual realm is not visible to the natural eye. There's no MRI or CAT scan that can show how often we block the blessings of God. Self-harm. Standing in the way of what God is trying to do. There's no physical evidence or way of, uh, of, 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 of that being manifested in the spiritual realm except for the disappointments and the regrets that we have. And so today I want to talk about, in beginning with the series of unqualified, one of the reasons why we feel unqualified, and we actually are, at our best we're, we're not really qualified, but God uses the foolish things of this world, amen, 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 is that we, we get in God's way. Tell somebody, get out of God's way. Now, getting out of the way of God stands between you and your blessing today. Sometimes God is trying to move even through something that someone is saying to you. And because of who it is, you're blocking God because you're quenching the spirit or grieving the spirit because it didn't come either in the way that you wanted it to come or from the source that you would have preferred it from. And, and, and what, negating the fact that God can speak to an, a donkey. I was going to say an ass, but I'm not going to say that. <laughs> Do I have your attention? <laughs> so don't be guilty of grieving or quenching the spirit because the person wasn't the right person or you prejudged or made some decisions. Because it could be that very person, that situation that you've closed your mind and heart to that stands between you and your healing. Somebody say amen. Get out of God's way. Standing in the way of God isn't new. It's not something that just started in the 21st century. It's not unique to New Direction Bible Fellowship. But some 3,000 years ago, a man that should have known better was guilty in his spiritual ignorance of blocking God, of getting in God's way. Now, here's what the scripture says about the person that I'm talking about, naming is his name, and some of his behavior is understandable because in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15, the Bible says, but the natural man 
the, the physicos, man, the man is, that has only been born the first time, the one who's come into the world through his mother's womb and can only understand and receive on the level of the five senses, the natural man does not receive, does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God because they are moronic, they are foolishness unto him. Because they are without the Spirit of God, except you be born again, you don't have the Spirit of God. And so the things of God make no sense to you. And when they don't, you can, it, it, you can because of your state spiritually, you stand in the way of what God is trying to do. Notice in verses 9 through 11, in 2 Kings chapter 5, we read, Then Naaman went with his horses and chariot. And he stood at the door of Elijah's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, said, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored. That's the promise. Your flesh shall be restored, but there's something that you got to do. And you shall be clean. Not only will you be, your flesh be restored, but there's something greater than healing. There's called wholeness. You shall be clean. But Naaman... <laughs> Put your name there. But Naaman became furious. He became enraged. And look what he did. And he went away. And he said, indeed, I said to myself. You start talking to yourself. And what you're saying to yourself is contrary to what God has said. You're in trouble. He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord, his God, and wave his hands and get some anointing oil over this place and heal the leprosy. Naaman got in God's way, and we're going to see. Here's how we get in God's way. There are at least four things that I want to talk about, and one of the ways we we block the blessings of God in our marriages, in our relationships with our children, the opportunities for upward advancement at work, for thinking right. We go crazy in our minds. We got these tormenting thoughts. We have bad habits that have become strongholds in our life, and God has been trying to deliver us and set us free. How many of you know whom the sun sets free? And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall... Okay, but we who know the Lord are operating in bondage. Why? One, one of the reasons that Naaman blocked, stood in the way of God, is that his, his strengths became his greatest weakness. Our strengths can be our greatest cause, or the greatest cause for us not to receive what God is trying to do. A second thing is that he didn't realize, as we're going to see, that his weaknesses were his greatest strengths. His strength was his greatest weakness, but his weakness, even though he didn't know it, was really his greatest strength because our weaknesses make us realize that we need God. Another thing that causes the, the, the flow of the blessings of God to be hindered in our life is that we have unrealistic expectations. We claim in stuff that God never promised. We have unrealistic expectations. And unrealistic expectations guarantees a bad result. You're going to be disappointed. 
God is not obligated to sign a check that you wrote out. Don't expect that. Here's what he also failed to do, at least initially. He didn't understand that surrender releases the power of God for your healing. Surrender is what releases the power of God for your healing. Now, Naaman's strength became his greatest weakness. In verse 1, we learn that Naaman was a commander and of the army of the Syrians and had, he was great and honorable. Here's some things that were true of the strengths of, of Naaman. His strengths, the interesting thing about our strengths is our strengths will get us what we want. But our strengths won't get us what we need. And we're going to see that. The first thing that he was, a, he was the first among his peers. He was the commander in chief of the entire Syrian army. He had favor with the king. The, the Bible says that he was an honorable man in the sight of his master. The king looked at Naaman in a very favorable way. He was the guy with the special coat. He was, he was Jacob. He was, he, was, he, was, he was Jacob to his father Isaac. He was favored by the king. He was famous. The Bible says he was a mighty man of valor. His reputation was known far and near. When he showed up, people stood up. This brother had it going on. He was famous. He was financially prosperous. How do I know? He had servants. He had servants, and because of his status in the military and his relationship with the king, he wore the best clothes. Kids went to the best schools. He lived in the best of housing. He was financially successful. He had strength. But here's the greatest asset that he had is that he was fruitful in his life. The Bible says because by him the Lord had given Syria victory. Now, here's the problem. He didn't recognize or acknowledge that it was God who was working on his behalf. He thought, like many of us, we got it the old-fashioned way. We, we work for what we got. But I hear Jesus reminding us in John chapter 15, verse 5, he says, I am the vine. You are the branches. And apart from me, you can do nothing that has any eternal significance. And so what happens is because we are famous, because we got money in our pocket, because of where we live, because of how things are lined up for us, my question to you is, when is the last time you asked God for help in the area you think you're strong? The problem with the church is not that we have too many weak Christians, because when we're weak, we can be strong. <laughs> The problem is everybody's so strong. We know John 3.16 and we know John 1.12 and we, we went to Bible school and we got a degree behind our name. The problem is not that we're weak. The problem is that we're claiming strength. And the way I know that we're claiming strength is because we're not asking God to help us do our jobs when we go to work. We know how to do that. We've been doing this for 10 years. We get paid for what we do. But when's the last time you asked God to sanctify your thoughts, to sanctify your actions, to give you a... His strengths 
were his greatest weakness. It gave Naaman what he wanted, but it didn't provide what he needed. See, Naaman's strength didn't give him what he needed. The greatest need that we have is not physical. But we spend all of our time in the gym, all of our time worrying about bills, all of our time worrying about what people think of us. And why didn't they speak? And why didn't he? We were all totally focused. But I hear the word of God say, well, we look not at the things that are seen. But we look beyond what we can see because faith is the substance of things hoped for. And it's the evidence of things not seen. For the things that you see, the things that you can touch, smell, and hear are passing away. Saw John Mason in the audience. I know the temple is passing away. He wasn't even born. This brother's 25 years old now. I look in the mirror and uh, something wrong with the mirror because I don't look as young as I used to look. I'm trying to figure out mirror, mirror, what's on, you know, you know mirror, mirror on the wall. I actually talked to people my age, and I said, uh, they said, they don't even look in the mirror anymore. How about, I say, Lord, take the accelerator off here, <laughs> you know? It's already 2018. What your greatest need is not for husband. Not for a better job. Not to get in that size four. Not to fit those stilettos that break your ankles. Not even for the Eagles to win the Super Bowl. Oh my. <laughs> I, I, I just stepped on some hollow ground up in here. <laughs> you got me, Brother Tim? You gonna help me out? Yeah, you got me, you got me. Where you at, Brother Ryan? There you are. Yeah, 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 yeah. The Bible says, what shall it profit you if you gain the entire world? You got everything you wanted, but then forfeit your soul. The greatest need that we have is spiritual. Oh, Paul got it straight in the, men, the brother in Christ Strong ministry today. Brother Ryan was teaching the class. And they hit this verse. I said, don't go, don't go too deep into the verse now because I'm going to be talking about it. But he says, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the what? The excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered loss in all things. And I count them as rubbish that I might gain Christ and be found in him having not my own righteousness, which comes from the law, but the righteousness that comes through Christ in faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, that I might know him. He says, I'm pursuing as I am already being known. I'm already known. He says, this one thing I do, I press. 
I strain with all of my might, with all of my, I, I just want to know him. And I want to experience the power of the resurrection. You have the spirit, the same spirit that caused Jesus to get up out the grave is living in you. Paul said, I want to experience that type of power. Your greatest need is spiritual. He has placed eternity in our hearts. You have a longing for God. Ain't no man can ever do you like Jesus. We used to sing that song. Can't nobody do me like Jesus. Jeremiah put it this way. Chapter 17, verse 5 says, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. He doesn't say, you're going to have a bad day. He says, cursed. <laughs> God is against you. God is going to put holes in your pockets. God is going to blow your blessings away. You're going to have the best of meals that you could ever eat, but you won't be able to taste it. You're going to have the softest pillows and the fluffiest bed and the, paid the top, but you're going to lay in it, but you'll sleep with your eyes open because you're afraid somebody's going to try to take it. Cursed is he who trusts in man. Your strengths will get you what you want. Paul says, the very things I had kept me from what I needed. I had religion. I had credentials. I had pedigree. I knew the right folks. I went to the right school. But I didn't have Jesus. What you want will keep you from what you need. That'll block you from the blessings of God. You get that house, you get that car, you get that job, you still won't have contentment. Jesus said to the woman as well, if you had drank from my cup, if you had let me give you a drink, you would never thirst again. He said, here's what I'm trying to say. Satisfaction guaranteed. Don't let your strengths keep you from God's blessing. We get real territorial about stuff we good at. I'm fixing this meal. This is my specialty. You done burned it for the last 10 years. When everybody's afraid to tell you, my best friend was a great barbecue, but as he got older, his taste buds changed. And he would always put too much pepper on the ribs. And he'd put the other, or somebody making a a, 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 a bacon sweet potato pie. Who puts bacon on sweet potatoes? And then puts it in front of the pastor's face and say, taste it now. <laughs> Suffering for Jesus. <laughs> Naaman's weakness became his greatest strength. He wasn't aware. The Bible says that he has, he gives strength to the weak. The first thing that is necessary to overcome an addiction of whatever kind you have is to acknowledge that you have it. You can't be made strong until you admit that you have a weakness. His weakness was revealed. He was favored by the king, famous and all of those other things, but he had a problem. 
Naaman was a leper. Leprosy was equivalent to what AIDS was when it first came onto the scene that when somebody, when Magic Johnson said he had AIDS and he was retiring from basketball, we were helping him pack his bags because we, the, 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 we didn't understand the disease. And it's still quiet up in here. <laughs> but the, my point is it was an incurable disease. If you had leprosy, you weren't going to get any better. It was a condition, it was a flesh-eating condition where it actually would eat away limbs, where fingers would drop off. People wouldn't have noses and ears would just come off. There would be a discoloration of the skin and the proliferation. You know, there would be a puffiness uh, from, the, from, the, from the disease. And whenever you came, you couldn't live in the city because the disease was contagious, and so you had to wear a hood, and it, you lived down the outside of the city, and you depended on people, a kindness in your family to bring you food, and they would leave the food, and then if somebody accidentally would come in contact with you, as Jesus did, not only did he come in contact with the lepers, but he healed them, but they would have to say, unclean, unclean, unclean. He had a problem, and he was powerless. To fix it. How many of you know that I finally figured out something really complicated and man, I think with all the degrees I have, etc. I can't change myself. That's a that's that was a brilliant deduction. No, no, no. We're powerless. The greatest problem that we have is that we have a sin-sick soul. The Bible says all have sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. We were born in, in iniquity and shaped in sin. And our sin has separated us from a holy God. And we are powerless to heal our leprosy. That's why I hear the hymn writer say, what can wash away my sins? It ain't joining the church. It's not baptism. It ain't communion. Oh, my mammy took me to my It's not that you were in the church, in the choir, but nothing but the blood. The blood. I think sometimes we underestimate what it costs God to save you. Jesus, God's mogul Ganesh, the only son, the only one of his kind, the only one. He left heaven's glory for you. If it had only been you, he would have still come. He was powerless to do anything about his condition. That meant when, we are, when, we, when we are powerless, when we're weak, when we're up against it, you can't pay your bills, the doctor didn't give you that bad diagnosis, and he said, I'm sorry, there's nothing else we can do. You've got six months or less to live. Get your house in order. You had the radiation. You had the chemo. No, you just need to go on and get this straightened out, and you can call the pastor, call the elders, and they do the praying, and there's nothing else. Everything's been done, and here you are. I want you to know that you're a perfect candidate for the providence of God. The providence of God. Here's the providence of God. I got, got my little glove. If it don't fit. <laughs> oh, yeah. The providence of God. We are the glove. Your leprosy is the glove. Your circumstances, your situations, your problems, your issues, the glove. 
We can't figure it out because we don't know all the pieces to the puzzle. We don't know where they fit. We don't know. We just know that everything is disjointed. We don't have focus. We don't have direction. We want to know our purpose. Your hand is the glove, those circumstances. But the hand in the glove is God. (laughs) And providence is the hand of God maneuvering and directing the circumstances in your life in such a way that all things, not something, but all things work together for the good of them who love him and are the called according to his purpose. But providence didn't start when you got saved because who he foreknew, he predestined. And that's why when the Bible says many are the plans that are in the hearts of men, but the providence, the purposes, the will of God will be established. Your problems make you a perfect candidate for the providence of God. God's about to do something. You may not understand. He didn't ask you to. He simply said the just shall live by what? The just shall live by Come on now, the just shall, come on, Sister Diane, the just shall live by, Uh, mm -hmm. come on now, come on, I know I'm telling the truth now, Sister Diane said faith, yeah, now watch the providence of God in this passage, the setup was providence at work, look at verse 2, and it said, and the Syrians had gone out to raid, they just went out to plunder and steal and kill, that was their intention, that was what was in their mind. But while they were plundering, the Bible said they had brought back a captive, a young girl from the land of Egypt. And she waited on the wife of the man who had the problem. She was a servant. That's the setup that sometimes the people that you're crossing paths with. And I always struggle with this when I see these people begging for money and asking, I'm struggling. Is this a providence of God? God, is this the person? Is this an angel in disguise? Lord, I just want to be obedient to you because I don't want to block what you're trying to do. The setup was they went on a raid, but God was setting this situation up in such a way that a believer would end up in the house of Naaman. (laughs) But watch this. You can have a setup, but if you don't step up, you can stand in the way of God because if you're a captive, you start, you know, I'm my captive. I done prayed. I done fasted. I done been in the church. How do I end up in this bad job? How do I end up in this bad marriage? How come I ain't married? So you can feel like you're captive by your circumstance. Instead, this woman, this servant said, then she said to him, she spoke up. If only my master was with the prophet who was in Samaria. Her circumstances didn't stop her from witnessing. Her circumstances didn't take her eyes off of God. She said, for if he could get around the preacher, if he could get to church, if he could get the new direction with the praise, but if he could get around the word of God, he would be healed. That was the setup. The setup and the step up, now you got the hookup. The hookup was Naaman's wife went and told him what the servant said, and then Naaman, the general, wouldn't told the king what his wife said that the servant said, and you got a hookup. And the king wrote a letter and said, I'm sending you to Jerusalem, to, is- to the king of Israel, and here's what he writes in the letter. He says, I give you permission to heal my general. That's the mess up. 
We start with the setup, providence, the, the step up, the, the woman speaks, the hookup, Naaman, his wife, and the king. The mess up is now the preacher's out of the picture. The king writes a letter as if he has some kind of authority to send to another dignitary, another king, to, to demand, all right, you can heal him now. And so, he, so, so Naaman took money, men, and, and a message from the king, and somehow thinking that that is what's going to give his healing. And so when the king of Israel heard what the king of Syria was telling him to do, he said, he's trying to start, how am I God? No, you're not God. But it doesn't say that the king from Israel, he didn't text the, the, uh, uh, the prophet. He didn't uh, uh, email the prophet. The Bible says that the prophet knew <laughs> that the king had tore his clothes. And that, the, that means when the king tore his clothes, that means that something bad, real bad. And the prophet Elisha said, send him to me. Your weakness can become your greatest strength. The weakness of Naaman pushed him to God. But then the flesh messes up the setup by thinking that somehow now you can manipulate and orchestrate the move of God. You can't do it. Give me a J! Give me a E! Shout if you love him. Run back with seven times if you really feel him. I wonder if you can speak in a tongue or two. You know, you can't orchestrate and manipulate the move of God. David found that out the hard way when he tried to move the Ark of the Covenant of God with the wrong men. Somebody died. When you touch what you're not anointed to touch, you can lose your life. So the weakness should have been his strength. It pushed him to the Lord. But even in that, even when we mess up and get in the way, we're going to find us somebody. He ain't going to be by myself. Thinking about the young lady who met the young, this boy in Philadelphia online and met him for the first time, and he stabbed her 50 times and buried her under leaves. Treat her like a piece of trash, somebody's child. When we try to manipulate what God says, wait, you are putting yourself in harm's way. You're putting your family in danger. Somebody say amen. amen. We're almost done. Nehemiah's expectations led him to be in the way of God. Notice what he expected. He said, when he got to the prophet with his men and his money at like 6,000 shekels, when he got to the presence of the Lord and, and the presence of the prophet, somebody say amen. Stay with me. He said, I expected that he would come out and that he would pray over me and command his God to heal me, and then I would go home. I wouldn't be getting dirty and you know, acting undignified. I ain't going to be running around the church. I ain't going to be raising my hand. I ain't going to, you know, I'm, I got this thing under control. I'm, I'm important. I'm sophisticated. I'm educated. He expected God to bless him according to his way. Sometimes the blessing of God is right in your face. But because it's not what you've already determined, about how it should look and how old it would be and what's going to happen. You done figured this thing out. 
you, your expectations. God never promised to be subservient to your will. I'm sorry these prosperity lying preachers are telling you, name it and claim it. You can bind and loosen, loosen and bind. Yes, but there's a context. God ain't loosening and binding what he hasn't already loosed. We got to agree with what God has already determined. This is our confidence that we ask anything according to what? His will. His will. That's what he, if you abide in me, this ain't no renegade faith. I'm going to give 10 so God can give me 100. And if you don't get 100, you leave in the church. I'm going to give my rent money this month. So that God can give me that Lexus I've been praying about. No, he's going to give you unemployment. And he's going to give you an eviction notice. And don't be blaming the devil. Guess what happens when your expectations in your relationships, your husband should be here by now. My wife should be acting like this by now. I should have finished this by now. According to whose will? God work. He's always on time. He can be four days late and still on time. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Let me let me let me let me let me. So, so how do we react or respond? Guess what Naaman did? The Bible said he became furious. He had a temper tantrum. He was enraged. In fact, he was so angry that he refused to obey the word of God spoken through the prophet of God. Listen, if somebody's giving you the word of God, I don't care how you feel about them because you're not fighting them when you rebel or reject or don't submit. Now you're up against God. And last I know, God is the undisputed heavyweight champion of the universe. He ain't never lost a fight, never backed down from one. I hear the word of God say, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. You don't want to be picking a fight with God. So he refuses. I ain't doing it. I ain't getting no dirty Jordan River. I hear, I see these folk crying and, and raising their hand, praising God. He don't take all that until you're watching the Eagles. <laughs> and you banging on the wall and running around the house and high-fiving people. And then you come to church and you act like you've got embalming fluid in you. I say anything that's dead, you need to be buried. And then here's what he does. He starts to complaining. Indeed, he, I said to myself, I will surely, he will surely come. Now we're talking bad and involving other people. This ain't the way it's supposed to be at church. 
It was my turn to sing. It was with my name on the bulletin. And when am I going to get my chance? And, and in the church I used to go to, we fell out and we, we gyrated. Nobody's stopping you from falling out and gyrating. We just want you to understand that God is not the author of confusion. <laughs> So he became angry. That's one of the ways you know you're blocking God when you get angry because his will doesn't agree with what you want to do. You in the flesh. And then you decide, hey, hey, I ain't doing it. We do that all the time. And then we complain about it. Now here's, what, guess what the consequence was? Naaman went to the place of blessing. He was at the place of healing, the place of deliverance, the place where praise was going on, the place where God had predetermined he should go. But he left the same way he came. He came as a leper and he left. I want you to understand, if you don't do it God's way, you can come to this church and hear the word every Sunday and you will leave the same way you came. Guess who he hurt? You know, leprous self. You got all your jewels and diamonds with leprosy. You got your titles, and you got to tell people that you love, unclean, unclean. He left with leprosy. And here's how he got, got out of the way of God. Naaman surrendered. And when you do, when you finally Get out. You done tried, you done messed up, you keep coming back to the same place. You stuck on start, and you're exhausted. Why not just say, Lord, I submit. I just humble myself. That's what he did. He listened to his servant. He's a general. The servant said, Master, if he had asked you to do something complicated, you parse a few Greek terms and read your Hebrew text. Would you have done it? He would have done it. He humbled himself and he went back to the place. And so he humbled himself. He obeyed. And guess what? Obedience is not obedience if you only do half of what God says. The prophet says seven times. In the dirty, muddy Jordan with your Gucci's on. Your Louis Pettons. Your, 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 your golden slippers. I can just see the, the general, you know, holding his nose. But guess what? One time. Two times. I can hear the flesh say, it, 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 it don't smell good. Three times. Still got leprosy. Four times. Five times. Six times. Still got leprosy. Seven times. And when he came up after obeying God, getting out of the way of God, I know it didn't make sense. I know you didn't want to do it. I know you didn't plan to come to church and get your hair all messed up. But when you get out of the way of God, you're going to get your cleansing. And guess what happens? He goes back to the prophet, and he gives God the glory. 
Naaman said, I used to go to that church. <laughs> but now I know there's no other true and living God but the God of Israel. He said, I will only, he got saved. Some of us want physical healing, but God wants to save you. God wants to deliver you. That's why he allowed the circumstances. Let's pray. You need to reach out to others who you trust to tell you the truth that you are in the habit of blocking God. You are your worst enemy. The things that you tell yourself, God never said. Reach out to somebody. Resist spiritual status quo. This is the problem in the church. We just want to be comfortable. We're not blocking God's way. We're just sitting down. We ain't breaking no sweat. You blocking God. Because Jesus gave everything. And he told us to love him with all of our hearts and minds. Resist spiritual status quo. Here's the final thing. Remember, whatever you're going through, it's about God. It's about him, not you. God wants to get glory. That's the question. Lord, is this situation, I, am I giving you the glory? It's really about him. You need to be asking yourself, how can I glorify God in this as I'm praying for my healing, as I'm praying for my deliverance? Every time you get in God's way, it's assisting Satan to prevent someone else from seeing Jesus. That's the enemy's goal. When you're so self-absorbed, People can't see Jesus in you. So let's not score touchdowns for Satan. You're not on his team anymore. You're on the Lord's team. Let's pray. Father God, in Jesus' name, we're so grateful.